Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Brian, and today is Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and this is another episode of Lots to Talk About. My guest this evening is a mom of seven, a successful business owner, and a world record holder. As the first woman to climb the second highest summits on each of the seven continents, she now spends her time inspiring others to create a thriving business and lasting legacy of their own. I'm excited to have a chat this evening on Lots to Talk About, and welcome to the show, Jen Drummond. How are we doing, Jen? Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Oh, no problem. I... Um... I, I came across your 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 profile on Podmatch, which is fantastic. I love the service, and it popped up, and I was I was kind of digging in, and uh, man, interesting, interesting for me for sure. Um, introduce yourself. I kind of gave a little bit of uh, a background, but if you have an elevator pitch you throw out there, I'd love to love to have you introduce yourself, and then we'll kind of get into how you. Uh, how you got into this climbing mountain thing and uh, what spurred you to go whole hog into it, really. Right, 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 right. Um, I guess I can give you a little background on me. I went to college and out of college, I graduated and took a job in finance. Um, I graduated early because a friend of mine graduated ahead and said, like, you should work at this company. You're going to make a lot of money and you're expensive. And I said, OK, fine. Little did I know what I was getting into. Basically, it's a glorified calling, um, you know, cold calling job, but I survived. <laughs> then I had kids and I, my goal was to be a stay at home mom. So I hired myself out of a job and stayed home with the kids, which was fun when they needed me. And then when everybody went to school full time, I was a little lost on what does this mean? And I just convinced myself that, you know what? Once I got to college, I'd go back to doing my stuff. But right now I was in the season of motherhood and this is just what it looked like. And I probably wasn't the best full-time mom. <laughs> like it, it just, I needed other things for my personality. And I got into a car wreck in 2018. That should have taken my life and didn't. And thankfully it didn't. And it woke me up to other opportunities and reminded me that we don't get to choose when we die but we sure get to choose how we live. And I was choosing how I was living. And so I had the choice to make changes if I so saw fit. And so some changes happened. Nice. Nice. You, um, you said, uh, in your profile, it said you have, you have seven kids, correct? Yes. So that wasn't enough for you. That like, wasn't enough for you to, to kind of wrangle around and handle that, that. I mean, yeah, that sounds like a lot of work myself. It is. It is a lot of work, but if you don't, I mean, it was all consuming. And so I lost my identity, right? All I was, was doing laundry and making lunches and all that kind of stuff. And, um, not that it's not rewarding, not that I'm not grateful. I had that time with my kids at home. It was, I'm not the Pinterest mom, right? Like I love that there's Pinterest moms and they have sweaters that match their socks and hair ties that match their sweaters and all that happiness goes on in those holidays. And I would show up in those classrooms. I'm like, man, we do not have a lot in common except that we have a kid the same age. Right. <laughs> and so, but it, it was one of those things where like, I don't even know what to do with myself. I didn't want to get back into my other job because it was so much time 
And I am one of those people that has a hard time balancing things. So I tend to go all in. And um, I would have ever guessed that. Yeah, no, who would think that based on my resume, right? <laughs> um, so. so what what was that age? Like, what was that age gap? So that was, was a, was it a, were you pretty much wrapping up the whole thing when you got in your accident or was, were you just kind of getting into figuring out what you were going to do after the kids were gone? Yeah. You know, I, I think I just was, I don't even know what I was doing to be honest with you. All I know is I have seven children. I struggled to have kids. So I had to do fertility treatment to get assistance. Nothing worked until they came up with a chemical cocktail that turned me into a hen and all of a sudden I had 28 eggs, one cycle, and those 28 eggs became 14 embryos. And those 14 embryos, despite all odds, became seven children. And have, I don't have seven children at once. No, luckily, like we froze them, right? So we'd freeze, thaw two, plant them, <laughs> one would stick, thaw two, plant one, one stick. But my son, the oldest one, was six years and two months when the twins came. So I had seven under the age of six. Okay, you are insane. Yes, 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 that's, yes. That's and maybe that's why I needed something else, right? Like I needed something else that was an identity identifier for me instead of just being mom. Because yeah. you hear mom 35 times an hour, right? And there's a lot of hours in the day where you're like, I just want to be a gen. I want to use the part of my brain that does different things than pack lunches and make sure we have toilet paper in all the bathrooms. Uh, do so, all the laundry and yes <laughs> so so you got in a car accident that was was obviously pretty serious if it if it should have taken your life um i have i have a, a a fellow podcaster that i network with that has actually been in two accidents that he felt should have taken his life so i've really i've had some in-depth conversations with him and i know how motivating that is for him uh and when you said that i i was like okay i get i get it um, were you a mountaineer before you got in a car accident? No, not at all. I mean, so, so. I mean, was I zero? I mean, as close to zero as you could. I had climbed okay. the Grand Teton. So I had okay. friends that lived in Park City. They're, they climb the Grand every year. They invited me one year. I went. I thought it was amazing. I'm like, okay, when my kids get older, I'm going to get into this. Okay. So the car accident happens. And I mean, it's a severe car accident. I get a phone call afterwards from the police a few weeks later and they tell me, we don't know how you survived. We cannot rebuild a scenario where you live, let alone walk away from this event. And the crazy thing is, as that happens, and then a couple weeks after the accident, a friend of mine goes running on a trail that you and I could push a stroller down. It's wet out, she slips, hits her head, and never comes home. So I'm metabolizing both of these events. I do this horrific crash and somehow I'm alive and can walk. And she does something that's healthy and we don't ever get to see her again. Right. And just that sequence of events, I was just like, man, I do not get to choose when I die. I could die at any moment. The only thing I can choose is how I live. And I was putting my life on hold. I wasn't living. I kept telling myself that, oh, I'll do something. I'll do something. That's an excuse. It was 100% an excuse. So 2019 became this big year of the bucket list. What are all the things that I want to see, do, experience, try, explore, taste, like everything. And no longer was, did I care what people thought? 
I think before I was like, okay, this is, I wanted to be societal norms. I wanted to fit in. And then after the car accident, I'm like, I could care less what anybody thinks. Like I'm worried about dying and not being able to see the Himalayas or not knowing what the ocean feels like in Australia or just like things. You're like, this world's a playground when you allow yourself to look at it like that. It, it, yeah, it is for sure. Um, that was something that we got over. So we, I was telling you before the show, we were in Minnesota, we had 35 acres. Um, I come out of like the self-reliance and prepper community where 35 acres in a homestead and, and producing all your own protein is like everybody's goal. And I was thinking about selling it because the weather wasn't right. Um, I got looked at kind of sideways, you know, family members were like, what are you doing? Like, what, and, and like crazy, you're going to move into a camper and do what? And I'm like, so what? But my wife's grandfather, who was, you know, 90, late 90s at the time, had always been interested in the farm. We'd always, I had always kind of confided in him. He was always asking about projects. Um, and I was talking to him about leaving and how I was nervous about doing it. What, you know, should I do it? And it was during COVID and like, am I nuts? I'm giving all this security away in this crazy time. And he said, do it because if you don't, if you don't, you will always wish you did. Yeah. Whether it turns out bad, good, indifferent, you might go and you might hate it and stop immediately. But if you don't try it and you thought about it, you will always wonder. And right. man, that guy made it okay. <laughs> like, Isn't it crazy? Like the smallest thing can give you the permission slip that you need yeah. to continue. And yeah. um yeah, so I I I was I was turning 20 in 2020 and I decided okay. I looked at my bucket list of things that I listed out and on there was climb a mountain. I'm like, "You know what? I'm going to launch this next decade climbing a mountain and that's going to just signify me being alive and all this stuff and so I live in Park City, which there's lots of ski resorts and mountains here. And I have some friends that are into the industry and like, hey, if you could climb one mountain in the whole world, what would it be? And the general consensus was a mountain named Ama de Blom, located in Nepal. It's the Paramount Pictures logo. Okay. It means the mother's necklace, which seven kids felt appropriate. <laughs> and um, it was in the Himalayas. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to like, this sounds great. And so I'm training for Ama de Blom and then COVID strikes. And now I'm a homeschool teacher to seven kids because the world shuts down and they're not even able to go to school. So we are doing the homeschooling thing. My son's studying some math stuff and he's struggling and crying and frustrated. And so I'm doing the proverbial pep talk. Like we do hard things. You've got this buddy. Don't worry about it. And he looks at me in his frustration and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest? Oh, wow. I'm like, it's called Ama de Blom, not I'm a dumb blonde. Okay. So thank you. And you finish your homework. We'll look at Everest. <laughs> so I honestly think like he thought the entire time his mom was climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde. I mean, like, that's, that's what he heard. Well, I mean, it, you can it would see be a it. great, it'd you be can a see great it. story. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. I'm like, I wonder how many people you've told this to. This is awesome. So oh, right, right. <laughs> he finishes his homework. We look at Everest. He goes to bed and I sit with Everest and I'm like, why not? If this kid thinks Everest is the hardest mountain in the whole world, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to show him whatever our metaphorical mountain is. 
we can do hard things. We're got, we got it. So I call a coach by the end of the week, I'm training for Everest and I'm the Blum. Now I've been an athlete. I'm just not a mountaineer. So the, the coach mails me a book. It's about becoming an uphill athlete. In the book, I start reading right away. And in the front of it, there was a lady who wrote a foreword that got a Guinness world record for doing something in the Alps. And I remember thinking, I could have done that. Like I could have suffered through that. I am a fantastic sufferer. This is insane. So I'm talking to my coach. I'm like, Alan, if I got a Guinness world record, my kids would think I'm cool because I'll tell you what, this homeschooling thing, zero cool. They don't like me. I don't like them. It's not working out. And Alan's like, I'll find you something. I said, okay, fine. But I'm not growing pumpkins or speed eating hot dogs or growing those nasty things. You know, like there's a lot of weird things in the Guinness World Record book, if we had to be honest. There there are. I actually, we stayed next to, on our trip uh, this summer, we stayed next to what should be the, the Guinness book record tallest cow, uh, tallest actual cow bovine. Um, and I picture standing next to him. I'm six foot five and he's taller than me. And they were like, well, they got him measured, but he wasn't, this was like three years ago and he wasn't actually tall enough. And, uh, I read online the other day that they just certified the, the tallest cow in the world. And he's shorter. He's like six foot three. And I'm like, no shit. There is a cow in Western or Eastern Wyoming that is taller than me at six foot five. So this is an invalid record. Invalid record. Okay. Well, I wasn't growing cattle. Okay. So, I mean, I just told him this. So the, the, the coach calls me back a few weeks later and he's all excited. He's like, Jen, 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 I have the perfect record for you. And I kind of forgot about the conversation. I was mainly just venting that parenting sucks sometimes. Okay. So he goes, I think you should be the first female to climb the seven second summits. I'm like, what are those? He goes, Jen, let me tell you, this is so good. Ready? They're the second highest point on each of the seven continents. It's only been done by one male. It's harder than the first seven. And you'd be the first woman to do it. And think about it. Seven continents, seven mountains, seven children. It's a jackpot. I'm like, kind of is. Kind of does sound like it's a jackpot. Let me look into it. So I look at it a little bit. I find out where they all are. I'm like, let's do it. No one's done it. If I fail, whatever. It hasn't been done by a female anyways. What does it matter? And, you know, I think I was just primed for doing something significant. After surviving, you get this fire in your belly of, I need to make a difference. I need to leave an impact. And um, I started on the quest. So you, you mentioned that it's it's actually harder than doing the seven peaks. Is that just because of... Um, of difficulty of the traverse, not necessarily the, the height. Yeah. So, right. So there's obviously each continent has one peak higher than the one that I'm climbing, but the height doesn't necessarily determine the, the technicality. And so for some reason, the seconds are more technical than the first and um, they're less commercially done. So they're harder to make, you know, they're harder to climb. You don't have much news about them. They're not as commercialized. Uh, there's just a lot of things that go into them. So I'm, I'm thinking climbing mountains, um, 
like mountains I can see, not like mountains above the clouds. Uh, what does what does climbing a mountain like that entail? Um, as far as training, as far as conditions when you're going up, like what does this journey look like? Uh, I have I have no comprehension of what this would take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's unique because each one of them is different. Okay? okay, so the easiest one in the Seven Second Summits is located in Australia. It's named Mount Townsend, and it's I I pretty much live at the elevation here in Park City, Utah. Okay, so think of a ski resort hill, right? Okay. And that's essentially it. So I think it was like 16 miles to get to the top. You had to do a little bit of navigation. It ended up being a little harder than expected because there was a lot of snow and it was supposed to be summer and it just hadn't melted yet. So it's kind of a muddy mess, to be honest with you. Um, so that one was the easiest. I would say Dick Tao in Russia was the hardest, even though K2 is probably the most famous of the seconds. Um so the interesting thing about Dick Tao is that you have ice climbing. So that means you're going to have crampons on your feet that like poke into the ice. You're going to have ice axes that allow you to stay where you need to be. It's on a, you have to stay on the ridge line for the most part with this climb because there's such a high avalanche risk in the area because the mountain is located between two seas. So there's lots of moisture that collects and dumps snow. So that one, you're tied up to your guide. So if your guide makes a mistake or if you make a mistake, you're both doing a recovery to save yourselves from sliding off the mountain. So that's pretty intense. It took a couple, that one took, let me think, base one. I think that one was a three-day climb. So really not that long. Um, Mount Tyree in Antarctica had only been climbed by 15 people before us. So I was was actually reading about uh, before, before I jumped on tonight, I was reading about Antarctica. I was like, I was trying to picture Antarctican mountains. And uh, then I started reading. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, they have a few of them there. Um, they're like yeah. 17,000 ish feet or something. And again, you just don't have beta on it. Right. So when we're looking at our notes that are years old, because the North Face team didn't summit the year they went, the next year was closed for COVID. There just hadn't been summits in a while. And so when someone says like, okay, there's this rock here and we're like, well, we don't see the rock. Did it roll down the mountain? Is the snow so much higher that it's buried underneath? You know, like there's just things that you don't know. And you're like, are we in the right space? Are we not? So it's very much navigating, making weather decisions, just deciding what makes the best sense. And, and then K2 is probably the deadliest of them all. So K2 just, it's like playing Frogger when you're climbing. There's rocks that just get chucked at you the entire time because it's a big rocky mountain filled with ice and snow. And during the day, the sun is so hot at the angles it hits the mountain that it'll get slushy or loose. And then that rock falls down. And K2 is a true triangle. For example, when you climb Mount Everest, you don't see Everest until you get to camp four because you kind of have to go up and around to get to it. When you're at K2 base camp, he is staring at you the entire time. If someone falls at the top of K2, they could all, depending on the momentum they have, they could fall all the way down to base camp. That does not uh, happen you're, you're on the other going up. Right. You're just going up. It's like this vertical thing. And then you have some climbing sections on it where you have to wear a harness and you're like, you're physically climbing. Um, so K2's, it's just hard. It's a hard mountain. It's a hard environment. It's a harsh climbing community over there. 
but yeah. And then like Mount Kenya, which is the second highest point in Africa is a, is a rock climb. So you're wearing okay. rock climbing shoes. You're wearing a harness, you're roping off different sections. And you, if you did Kilimanjaro, which is the highest point in Africa, that's a hike. You can modify a wheelchair and get up it. You're not taking a wheelchair up Mount Kenya. Right. Right. Because they've, they've modified it to make that, or is it just, was, is it just that naturally? N natural topography, right? Okay. Natural topography is one is a, like a long walk up that you do camps along the way to acclimatize and Mount Kenya is this pitchy rock climb. So do you hire um, like a local guide, a local navigator? Is that something you bring with you? Is there both options? Do you do both? Um, how you said you were navigating by notes and points. Um, how does that all work? Like, how do you not get lost? Yeah. So you have devices, right? Garments and tracking devices. And on like the bigger mountains, such as Everest and K2, those things are all laid out for you. Basically, okay. it's been so commercialized. You just, as a tourist, you show up, click your rope and start climbing. Um, the other ones take more skills to say, okay, we go left here or right there or do whatever you're supposed to do. You're following maps. I tried to climb with the people in the country that I was traveling to. So when I went to Russia, I used Russian guides. When I went to Kenya, I used a Kenyan guide. When I, you know, when you go to Antarctica, you're bringing guides in because nobody lives in Antarctica. When I went to Australia, I did that one myself because it was basic enough. I didn't need a guide. Um, so it just depended. I did end up climbing with a different company. This I failed K2 the first time. So when I went back the second time, I picked less on geographical location and more on safety, which probably should have been the filter I used in the first place. But when you're new, you think, well, everybody's safe. It's in the industry. And then once you right. get into it, you're like, no, there's different levels of safety. I'm going to go with safety first and then worry about the next pieces. Did you go in increasing uh, difficulty by anybody else's recommendation or by your research? Like at the end, do you feel that you went in increasing order? Was that the plan and did it work out that way? You know, mountains have a season that you can climb them in. So you'll always oh, okay. see Everest summits in May. You'll always see K2 summits in July. So there's, you know, Dick Tao, which is in Russia, typically climbs July, August, September. And so it was basically what opened after COVID and then what climbing season was available, right? So I climbed the, the one of the last, I mean, the sixth one that I climbed was Mount Townsend. Australia took a long time to open after COVID. Right. They didn't let yep. us in over there. And that was one you kind of wanted to climb in the summer, which is our winter. So I was just waiting for things to line up. Um, Australia. Antarctica, you always climb December, January, because that's their summer. And then the season shuts down there. So a lot of it was more dictated on the season that you climb and what was going on with COVID restrictions at the time. Did you feel when you started that it wouldn't matter? Uh, were you ready to do any of the seven when you when you kicked off? Or did you feel like you needed to acclimate into this to make, make it all happen? You know, it was nice to do Ojos del Salado and Chile first because it's like 22 or 23,000 feet. So then I got an idea, like how does my body do at that altitude? Because right. some people's bodies don't do well at that. So I'm like, okay, I'm in the, I'm doing good because there's not that many mountains higher than this. So this means that these lower mountains, I should probably be physically okay. I was trying to save Mount Kenya to the end because I just wasn't a rock climber. 
And so okay. I had to work on my rock climbing skills to be ready for that. But Kenya opened a charity, reached out to me because they heard what I was doing and wanted me to get involved with that. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll go and I'll figure out, I'll climb. So I went to Vegas a couple of times to train and then flew over there to actually do the climb. So I'd say it was more based on skills and altitude and things like that. I think the order that I did them in was fine. I don't know if I'd change anything. I got lucky with Russia because we had failed K2 in 2021. And of course, like you're coming off that failure and you want revenge, right? Like I want to get back out on a mountain. And Russia was even at that time kind of hard to get into as a U.S. citizen. So we finally got permits because the mountain's on the corner of Russia and Georgia. So you have to have permits from both places to be able to climb. So we got permits. We land in Russia and they my bags don't show up. I'm like, what do you mean my bags didn't show up? Like I spent weeks curating gear. Like Russia, I bought 20 pairs of gloves and sent 19 pairs back because I needed to have gloves that were warm enough that still had dexterity. Like, can I tie my shoes with these gloves on and still have my hands be like warm? Right. And so when I land in Russia and all my gear's not there, I wanted to pull my hair out. Like, no, 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 that's cute. Not a good story. And then they're like, well, you can rent gear or you can fly home, but there's no other option. So, okay, fine. We'll go rent gear. Okay. Just like here, everybody turned into an outdoor warrior. There's no gear anywhere. There's nobody shipping any, like, re reply, resupplying these stores. Like, everything's gone. So I show up at this rental store. I have to rent a jacket that I have to roll the sleeves to have it not go over my hands. I have a backpack. <laughs> yeah, I have a backpack that I have to tie the strap so it doesn't fall off my shoulders. And then I have boots that are like three sizes too big, but they're the closest things that I could find. And I said, okay, fine. We're going to see how this is going to work. This technical climb and I have gear that doesn't work. Luckily, we summited. And I write about this in my book about how you need to embrace imperfect starts. And this was the classic imperfect start. And somehow by the grace of the universe, we summit and we get back down and not six months later, does Russia close? And I still wouldn't be able to climb that mountain. Like it's There's still no close to us. Right. Right. Um, you said you, you failed on K2. How does, how does that look? Like how close did you get? And, and what was the, what, what was the cause of, uh, of turning around? Yeah. So K2 2021, there was not a lot of teams there because the COVID, COVID when I, I climbed Everest in 2021 and they had a whole bunch of outbreaks of COVID. It was this big old deal. So they're like, okay, well, we're not going to allow as many teams in. You have to be from these countries to be able to enter and, you know, all that political bullcrap. Mm -hmm. And so there just wasn't that many teams, which means there wasn't that many resources to make the mountain safe. Big mountains take big teams and right. there just wasn't big teams to make this happen. So when they were setting up the tents on the mountain and it was actually time to go summit, there wasn't enough tents for everybody at camp one. I was in really good shape and I do really well at altitude. So I said, you know what? I'll go ahead. I'll go a day ahead of you guys and I'll go to camp two. You guys park at camp one. So then I was a day ahead of the team. I got up to camp three. Next day would have been camp four. Next day would have been summit. So I was two days away from the summit. When we were at camp three, we got a phone call on the radio. And we were informed that one of my teammates died in an avalanche. 
Another one broke his leg and another one was trapped on the mountain until it was safe enough to fly a helicopter in to rescue him because they were afraid that if the helicopter came close to the mountain right now, the vibration of the blades would trigger another avalanche. And so I was, and they're like, you have a choice, Jen, you can continue up the mountain or you can turn around. And I, like, I sat with that for a few minutes. Like, what does this mean? Cause it's a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of energy to be able to climb these things. And I had to put my kids in summer camp and like all the things I'm like, if I summit this mountain, it's going to be clouded by this event my entire life. And the reality is, is that who we are as people is so much more important than what we achieve. So I'm going to go down and I'm going to take care of the team. It's a team sport, even though it's individuals at summit. So I go down and we bury a human and we send one off in an amb like a helicopter for help. And then we pack up camp and start the 70 mile hike out. I get home and then my kids are like, did you summit? I said, no, but I had success. I showed up as somebody I'm proud of and that's what matters in life. And they're like, oh, okay, mom. And so... And I went back to K2 in 2022 because I had to summit. It's my mountain. I can't just be like, oh, I tried. It doesn't count. You know, like you have to get to the top. Right. Right. So I'm like, oh my gosh, now I know, right? Like now I know what I'm walking into. And Pakistan is pretty conservative Muslim. You're not seeing women in the streets, right? Like right. there, it, it's just a different world. And so I just, I know what I'm walking into. I'm kind of frustrated about it all. But I get a phone call a few weeks before I need to leave. There's an individual that had helped me the year before. And he's like, hey, I'd really like the opportunity to climb K2, but I don't have the money to make it happen or the gear. I'm like, okay, I'll help. I'll help figure that out. You helped me last year. I'll help you this year. And so I summited K2 in 2022. And right. 30 minutes later, this individual that I sponsored summited the mountain as well. And when that happens, they have jobs for life. Right. Like, I mean, that's that's a huge thing in their country and their culture and their way of being. So it was one of those lessons where, like, sometimes I think we don't succeed because there's bigger things for us. The world has right. more so, plan. So he was he was local and yeah. that that kind of like spurs him into guide guide to be a guide. There's not that many Pakistanis that have stood on top of their country's prize peak, let alone ones that are still alive. You, right. Prior to 2022, 25% of the people that summit K2 die on the way down. On the way down. On the way down. Typically, you die on the way down of a mountain, not on the way up. Big so, deal. I mean, that's, is that because, what, is there a reason behind that? Yeah. I mean, you're tired, right? Yeah. And when you go up a mountain, your foot's not weighted. Right. You make a step and then you weight it and then you can kind of test the ground when you're going down a mountain. Your foot's weighted the second it hits the next thing. So if you made a bad step. Right. Or if the, it's in K2 is rocky. So they fix ropes onto it, which means then you can click onto those ropes and run those ropes up. But those ropes run over rocks. So anytime somebody's on that rope, it's rubbing that rope, thin, running that rope, thin, and all you, the rope can snap. Right. And now you're in trouble. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, the accomplishment beforehand is pretty, pretty significant, but man, whew, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty heavy there. Um, you said you, you, do they, do you bury, um, do you bury people that pass on the, on the mountain, on the mountain? 
or do they end up getting ex- taken down and and uh, buried elsewhere? Yeah, you know, it all depends. If they can take a body down, they will. A okay. lot of times they can't. It's going right. to put more people at death or risk than, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't, to take a body, for example, off of Everest in the death zone, it's four to six guys. So you have four to six healthy people that are going to go take a dead body down and risk their lives. Like, I don't know if it, it, there's, it's just a dilemma. I, so I some just places have this picture in my head. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I have a picture in my head of all of this melting going on. It's nuts. And the crazy thing is, is like they, um, they become, so there was a dead body on K2 that you had to walk around because they just couldn't bring the body down. And if they cut the body loose, you'd never recover it. Okay. Um, and the family was trying to get one. They're trying to wait one more season to see if somebody could cut the body down. Cause to some religious cultures that matters getting right, the body right, right. returned, right? Like some people it doesn't and some people it does. And I mean, they, they're in perfect condition. They're frozen. Right. Right. It's not like, it's like walking past the mannequin. It's, and depending on how recent you might even know the outfits from the catalogs. I mean, it's crazy. That's, um, that's like, so the, the images you see when it's almost like in a movie and you see like someone frozen there, you're like, yeah, no. Um, so that's like legit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The only <laughs> thing that happens is, is you can tell, like, so we had a body fall down to base camp that had been, must've been decades old. Right. While you were and, there, just like, yeah, because an avalanche, avalanches happen every day. So at first when you get there, you're like, oh my goodness, there's an avalanche, there's an avalanche, there's an avalanche. And then after you've been there a while, you're like, am I in a bowling alley? Or is there a thunderstorm? Like it just be, you become numb to the sound because you're so used to them. Well, then they'll sometimes things will come up from the avalanche because they got buried down or whatever. And there was a body that showed up and you could tell that the body had been maybe face down because one side of the the outfit was sun bleached and the other side was like a perfect purple. This this is crazy. Um, I would have never, never, never guessed. Yeah. <laughs> I would- like, well, and I like thought it was going to be really eerie. Like, oh, I don't want to be by dead bodies. That's so gross. Like, blah, 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 blah. But there's, they don't feel like, they don't feel like anything. They don't feel like a rock. They don't feel like anything. There's no energy there. There's no life there. So it was amazing to me how much it literally felt like you're walking past just a statue or a stone or something. It was not what I expected. I would have, I would have guessed that I would have been just kind of, um, it would have made me remember why I was paying attention to what I was doing. And Oh yeah. A hundred percent. You're like, okay, don't make a mistake. Okay. If I'm not feeling good, it's now time to push on mountains always win. Right. And the doubt, the, the going down thing, it makes total sense with how you explain it, but I have this mental picture of, uh, okay, I've reached it. And even if I try my hardest to know that this is the most dangerous going down, I accomplished the summit. I didn't say I wanted to accomplish coming back down. Like you're in right. that, you're in that after mode of the, of the goal. Yeah, no. And I write about it in my book from the standpoint of, I think a lot of times um, we forget like you summit, you only win if you come back home. It doesn't matter if you summit, you don't come back home. And if you think about it from a business standpoint, when you take risks or you decide to go forward, do you have enough 
energy? Do you have enough cash reserves? Do you have enough whatever to make it all the way back home if it doesn't work as you planned? Because otherwise you blow up and you're done. We're in a life or death situation the entire time we're there. Right, right. Um, what uh, what does something like uh, one of these trips cost? It, it's got to be significant amounts of money. Um, yeah, they're very differently priced because there's different cultures involved, right? And there's different permit prices and stuff. So, and it depends on how much wine and dine do you want to be. I mean, you can go to Everest for maybe 40000 or 150000 Right. right. Do you right. want a private bathroom at base camp or can you share with others? Right. There's just there's choices and wow. all the mountains kind of have that at some level. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so how long did it take you to complete the whole cycle of all seven? Yeah, I climbed my first one in December of 2020 and I summited my last one on June 1st of 2023. And you, you started training in 2019, you said? Yeah, towards the middle of 2019. That's incredible. Yeah. Like, don't, don't people don't people train like their whole lives to do one? Yes. But the okay, nice cool. thing is, is <laughs> yeah, they do. But like in reality, if you're going to train to do Everest, you're fit enough to do a lot of the other ones, right? It's not like I'm going to learn how to go sailing and then surfing and then swimming and then biking and then climbing. Like what I'm doing is climbing mountains. So when I'm good at climbing one mountain, that all that skill rolls into the next one and rolls into the next one and rolls into the next one. So it really helps. Right, right. Are you still climbing? Not, you know, I, I haven't climbed anything. This is probably one of the longest times I've gone without climbing anything right now. My body's having like, why aren't we training? What's going on here? Um, I am taking my boys to Africa in February to do a couple climbs with them nice. just to get over there. And I had such a good experience there. I want to go back. Nice, nice. So let's talk about your book. Um, we got like 10, 15 minutes left. Let's uh, yeah. let's talk about your book you got back. And I mean, what an adventure to uh, to document uh, was the first of all, was the book the, the main documentation of it? Was that your plan or did you do you have other things out there kind of documenting this journey? Yeah, I mean, we document on my website, each mountain I kind of did a daily download on. Um, of course, I could only send 160 characters home at a time. So it's not beautiful, elegant English. It's like, you know, this is what could come across that officially told everybody what was going on without like embellishing too much. Um, and then what happened was when I got done climbing in Antarctica, I went out to lunch with a friend and was getting drilled with tell me about it. Like, what was it? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you need to write a book. This is so cool. I don't even like mountaineering and I want to know what goes on. I'm like, okay, okay. And he was a writer. Okay. So for him to say, you need to write a book, that's like me saying like, you should climb Everest. Okay. You've never done it, but you'll be fine. And it made it sound like, Hey, did you want cookies or brownies for dessert? Because both are available. And I got into this book writing thing. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is hard. <laughs> it's hard to write a book because you have a story. So I'll tell a story and then you have, you're writing it to a blank piece of paper. So you're getting no feedback and then you give it to somebody to read and you're like, okay, did I give you enough information to understand what's going on? Did I give you too much information that you're bored? Did you understand the lesson that I learned on that mountain? Or was I being like, was it too hidden? And is this when you're reading it, are you learning things that you're like, oh, this applies to my life and this is how I can do my life better? Like there's just so many things that go into writing a book. It's definitely an acquired skill. Um, so I'm grateful the book is done, 
but it's it's been a heavy lift for sure. I'd rather climb another mountain than write another book. Right. Uh, so you kind of travel through the whole journey in the book as it, it kind yeah, of lessens so the, from each. Yeah. So the book is titled Breakproof, Seven Strategies to Build Resilience and Achieve Your Life Goals. And I picked the title because we break, right? You get into a fight, you break up. You, you, I got into a car accident and it broke like the trance that I was in and the story that I was writing. And in those breaks, you have proof of what's working, what's not working. Do you even want to climb that mountain? Or now that you know what you know, do you want to go climb a different mountain? And so that's where the break proof came from. The seven, I have, everything's a seven in my life. So I'm like, okay, we'll do the seven. And then what I do is I take you on each adventure, right? And I, there's a million stories that didn't make it into the book, but there's a handful of them that really did. And then we go on that adventure. And then after we go on that adventure together, I break down like some of the things that I learned from that mountain that you can apply to your life and hopefully have more resilience in your pursuits because I think freedom comes after hard things. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, we kind of experienced that as we've, we've gone through this is, is you make those difficult decisions, you go through a difficult um, a process. Like we were two years figuring out how to launch and, and do our thing. At the end yeah. of two years, I was like, holy crap. Um, like when the sale went through of our, our property, I was like, all right, all right. Um, your book, I, I saw on the site, it comes in out in January. Is that, is that still accurate? Um, yeah. So if you order it now um, and pre-order, then you'll get some freebies and some stuff like that. Some different stories, okay. some different strategies and tactics. I run an Everest challenge that you'll get a freebie entry into and things like that. Um, otherwise, if you order it January 9, it'll just ship when they all ship. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, so do you, you, what else do you offer through the website? Um, you said uh, Everest Challenge. I, I, I don't know what that is. Um, yeah. So I would say you go to my website, jendrummond.com. You're going to be able to join in some of the challenges that I put together. So when I climbed Everest, I had the best experience ever. I absolutely loved it. And some of my friends didn't summit the year that I summited. So the next year they were going back and I was so jealous. I'm like, I want to go climb Everest again. It's such a fun mountain to climb, but obviously I can't. And so I put together a climb Everest from home. So over 40 days, you just do the stairs in your house or go to the gym or whatever. It makes it super easy. And you climb the height of Mount Everest from the comfort of your home. And it was a way for me to connect to Everest again and just make it easy from here. Super fun challenge that challenge that people really enjoyed. And they're like, you should do a challenge on this topic or this topic. And so I put together some other ones based on okay. feedback, which is pretty fun. I'm hired a lot to give speeches. Okay. So I love standing in front of an audience and just telling the story and giving them some like ideas of what they can do in their own lives to do big goals, which is super fun. I have the book coming out. I'll do like private expeditions where people are like, hey, I want you to take me here and I'll do that. And so kind of like a hodgepodge of everything, which keeps it exciting for me. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not being a stay at home mom anymore. So that's, exactly. That's, uh, I mean, I love my your... kids, but <laughs> you, you achieved your goal of having a variety of life by, by for sure. Um, you know, we're wrapping up here. I had one, one kind of question 
Um, what what thoughts go through your head as you get to that summit in the mountain? Like as you're you're achieving probably let's say artist climb where you didn't think you were going to make it or maybe k2 after you didn't make it and then you did make it up what what really goes through your head when you get to that top yeah um all of it like every month like so let's say so when i climbed the last one i mean i made a two and a half year pursuit right like two of the mountains i failed so they had to do them twice and okay. i just remember being like i cannot believe i'm 10 steps from having this record. Like it feels so surreal. I know I'm not the same person that started on this adventure, but I'm like not that different. So you stand up at the top, you take in a breath, like the deepest breath you can possibly take in. And when you inhale, like everything disappears. There's no sun, there's no mountain, there's no time, there's no distance, there's no sound, there's no separation of anything. Like everything just is. You are the feeling of bliss. And then you exhale and you inhale and you exhale and eventually all of it separates again. Time starts clicking and it starts, you feel the wind, it starts to get cold and you're like, okay, I'm going to throw my soul out into this world. I'm going to find you again. I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know when, but the joy is the journey of pursuit. And when you climb the mountain, you're always ready for the next one. Was there a letdown after you were done? Like after yeah. you were done with the whole thing, like you were driving, even when you summited and you made it back down the first six times or the first six uh, accomplishments, even after the fails and everything, and you had the last one, like you always had the next one. Like what, what fills that right now? Um, the commitment I made to myself and I think society trains us to think what's next, what's next, what's next. And my struggle or my challenge right now is to appreciate what is, and Fantastic. I am a quick start. I'm a hard stop. And I know this about myself. So I told myself like, no matter what, I'm not committing to anything else for 12 months. I need to learn how to appreciate the present and metabolize everything that just happened. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate that for sure. For sure. Um, getting back into what's going on right now and being really present in that. And uh, but man, you can't give up you can't give up the experience that you drove yourself to do because that's oh that's my god, I love it. Totally, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I I like to give the guests kind of open reign at the end here. Um, anything you want, you can plug the book again, tell about the book, tell, uh, any parting thoughts and, and we'll wrap up and we'll get you out of here. Yeah. Okay. So go to the website, jendrummond.com, buy the book, join a challenge, find my social media channels, figure out what one's your favorite, reach out, say hi, connect. I love the community aspect of all of this and thank you for listening. Awesome. Awesome. I have your, I have your website in the show notes and I, that seemed like the best uh, direct funnel to all the information for anything. Uh, Jen, I appreciate you coming on. What a fascinating story. I learned, I learned so much. I'm, I'm so intrigued now. Uh, I don't see myself going and climbing any mountains, but man, I might look into the whole thing a little more. All right. I, I mean, need advice. That, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that dead body thing, that's going to roll with me for a while. That, <laughs> But yes, I appreciate sorry. you coming on. I uh, If you'll hang out for just a second, I'll wrap up and I'll uh, I'll chat with you before you take off. Thanks. All right. Have a good night.
All right. I appreciate Jen coming on. What a fascinating story. I didn't really know anything about um, about any mountain climbing of that nature, just uh, hiking around the hills where I grew up and things. But I appreciate the eye-opening uh, experience and the lessons that can be learned from from that type of adventure are just incredible. So I encourage you to click the link in the video notes and the audio notes and check out Jen's site and uh, get that book pre-ordered and, uh, and, and get in on some of those challenges. So uh, this has been another episode of Lots to Talk About, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>